So we come now to the time in our service where we're going to be reading the Bible together. So I would love it, and those of us who are on stage are going to be doing this as well, if you could grab a Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 25, we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 13 together. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. Now, as we go through this passage, it's one of Jesus's more complicated parables, and Matthew's gospel is full of them. If you have questions about the parable, about the Bible passage, or about anything that I say, they're going to come up on the screen, um, which I can see, which is directly in front of me. And after the sermon, after I've, I've taught through this passage, we're going to have some discussion about the questions that you might have about the Bible passage. So please do be thinking about that. And Lee, our associate minister, who can't be with us for day, today, and we'll hear why, is going to join me, and he's going to be asking some questions about the Bible passage too. So do be thinking about them as we go through. Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took out their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all of the young women woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for us and for you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was then closed. Later, the other women also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Thanks, team. So last week, we took a break in our journey through Matthew's Gospel to look at Jeremiah 29 together and to look at what God had to say to us as a church community, to us as believers as we head into another lockdown. But today, we're continuing our journey through Matthew's Gospel. And we're heading towards the end of Matthew's Gospel now. And Jesus has been talking to his disciples all the way through Matthew chapter 24 about the end times and about the fact that he is going to return. He is going to come again as Lord and King of all. Now, this is the day that all Christians long and hope for. Our hopes and fears are not met in Joe Biden or in Donald Trump or in Boris Johnson or in Keir Starmer or any of those people, as wonderful as some of those people we might think they are. Our hopes and fears can only be met in the person of Jesus. He is coming back. That's the day we long for. Now to explain this truth and this essential teaching that the church has taught for 2,000 years to his disciples, Jesus helps them to understand by telling them this parable. 
So the parable is about five foolish young women and five wise young women. So let's go through the parable together. So verse one. This whole parable takes place in the context of a wedding banquet. Now, wedding celebrations in the first century ancient Near East always took place in the home of the groom. There were always a lot of guests and the house would usually be overflowing with people who'd been invited. So it wouldn't be very COVID secure, probably. I mean, there would have been people all over the place, in every room, in the yard, out on the streets. People would have been everywhere. Now, all of the guests would arrive at the groom's house hours before the groom and the bride were due to arrive so that they were all ready and waiting to greet the wedding party. Now, that's exactly what is happening here. Now, the reason that guests would wait for a long time is that what would happen at these wedding celebrations is that the groom would leave his house and would journey through every possible destination he could go through in the village to the bride's house. And while he was on his way to the bride's house, all of the guests would arrive at the groom's house. And the groom, the bridegroom, would always travel with his closest friends, so the equivalent of the best man and the ushers, if you like, today. And he'd make his way to the bride's house. Now, when he, once he got to the bride's house, he'd often put her on the back of some kind of riding animal, so a donkey, if you were rich enough, a horse or something a bit more grand. And then you'd process the groom, the bride, and his closest friends through the village. And you'd go every possible way that you could think of. You'd walk past every house, you'd go past every shop, you'd go past every meeting place so that everybody knew that they were getting married. Now, the other thing to say is that these wedding celebrations always took place at night. Now, this explains why the 10 young women are waiting for the wedding party with lamps. You know, this was days before, you know, years, sorry, before, obviously, well, not just years, hundreds of years, before the days of streetlights and electricity. And what would happen is the bride's closest friends would lead all of the other guests in rushing out to meet the bride and groom as they were nearly there, as they were about to arrive. So that sets the context for a wedding celebration, if you like, in the first century. Now in verse two, Jesus says that five of the young women were foolish and five were wise. Why? Well, verses three to four tell us, remember it is the dead of night. No one knows how long it is gonna take the groom and his party to arrive back at the groom's house to start the celebrations. Sometimes it took hours and hours because they wanted to make the procession as flamboyant and, and, and elaborate as possible. And so the five wise um, young women, these five wise friends, went out with oil to keep going and burning all through the night. The foolish virgins, the foolish young women, however, took no spare oil at all. Now, this is the equivalent of going out for, you know, for a midnight walk where there's no electricity and forgetting to take spare batteries for your torch or going away for the week and forgetting all your charging leads for your smartphone or your laptop or whatever it is that you that you'd need. It would be an absolute nightmare. Now, the other thing to say about these lamps and their significance is that people would know that you were invited to the wedding party if you had a lamp. If you didn't have a lamp at such a party, then you'd be considered a wedding crasher, a gate crasher, and no one wants to crash 
a wedding that they're not invited to, or no one wants to give off the perception of that, do they? So verse 5 then tells, Jesus tells us in the parable that the bridegroom was a long time in coming. In other words, he's got delayed somehow. You know, they're going on a really, really, really long route back through the village. And so these 10 women were drowsy and they fall asleep. You know, it's like one of those weddings that you go to where you go to the church service and then you seemingly have hours and hours and hours to kill before the evening reception starts. It's one of those types of scenarios. And so they get a little bit bored of waiting. They get a little bit fed up, if you like, and so they fall to sleep. They have a nap. Perhaps they think that they could be able to get through the evening celebrations and festivities if they take a little power nap or whatever. Now in verse 6, the midnight cry comes out. So somebody involved in the preparations of the wedding would have cried out when the, when the wedding party were like a street away or you know, two streets away. The bride and groom are on their way. Come out to greet them. And that's exactly what happens here. And Jesus tells us in the parable that this cry comes out at midnight. Finally, they're on their way. Now, all of the guests would have rushed out to meet the wedding party. They would have formed some kind of procession to greet them in the streets. And the, the bride's friends were the first to lead this procession. They were the ones whose job it was to rush out and greet the wedding party. And that's what happens in verse 7. The 10 young women hear the midnight cry. They begin to tend to their lamps because they need to be the first, as I've said, out to get to the couple. There's no streetlights, remember, so they need to lead the whole party with their lamps. And so they check the wicks are okay. They check the candles are lit, all of that kind of thing. And they begin to see if there's enough olive oil left. Well, in verse 8, five of the women realize that they've run out of oil. Their lamps are not going to light. They won't be able to see. People will wonder if they're really invited to the wedding. What are they going to do? And so what they do is they begin to ask the other five women who have come prepared for some spare olive oil. Now in verse 9, the reply comes from the wise women. I'm really sorry, but we don't have enough. You're going to have to go out and buy some. You're going to have to go out and get some oil so that you can join in. Well, it's midnight. And so this is a big ask. It, you know, it's not like every single corner shop in a near first, you know, near first century Middle Eastern village would be open at midnight. That definitely would not have been the case. So where are they going to go to get some oil? They rush off and they probably are knocking on, are knocking on everybody's door on every corner shop that they can think of and are asking for some spare olive oil. The question that everyone would have been asking as Jesus was telling this story is this. Would they be back in time to greet the bride and the, and the bridegroom? Would they make it back in time for the festivities? Well, in verse 10, the foolish ones are out shopping for their, for their olive oil. And the wedding party arrives. Now, the entire crowd, led by the five wise women, would have you know, literally stormed the groom's house. The festivities would have got going, the speeches would be underway, the buffet would be in full flow, the, the dancing would have started, and the door, of course, because it's midnight, it's the middle of the night, would have been slammed shut. After all, this is an invite-only party. Now, in verses 11 and 12, sometime later, once the party is in full swing, the other five women arrive. They've been out to the shops, they've returned, but the door is shut. And so they knock on the door and they cry, let us in. 
And the reply comes from the groom. Truly, I do not know you. It's a shocking end to the story. Now in verse 13, Jesus applies the parable to our lives. Therefore, Jesus says, keep watch because you do not know the day or hour. You do not know the day or hour when I am going to return, Jesus says. Therefore, keep watch. So that's the context of the story. But what does it have to say to us today? Well, to make sense of it, we're just going to work through the characters quickly and, and see what, they, what Jesus means through them, what Jesus is saying to us, and how we respond to this parable. So firstly, let's take a look at the groom. So the groom in the parable, Jesus very clearly means for us to identify with himself. Jesus is telling a parable about himself, about his return. So here's the thing that Jesus is communicating. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to return and he'll gather all of the people that he's chosen and that he's saved to himself. And when Jesus returns, there will be one heck of a party. It will be absolutely amazing. They'll be dancing. There'll be the most amazing food. We looked at this just a few weeks ago in one of the parables in Matthew's gospel um, just a few chapters previously. But like that parable, like that wedding banquet that Jesus told a, a parable about, you need to have hold of an invite in order to get in. Now we know, church, don't we, that Jesus is returning because he's told us. He's told us so many times in the New Testament. The Bible tells us so many times that Jesus is going to return. It's the central and essential part of Christian belief. You know, churches often say, don't they, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And that day is going to be the day when all wrongs are put right, where we begin to see the fulfillment of the prophecy that every tear will be wiped away. There'll be no more pain or no more suffering. In fact, the Bible, Ben Gurney and I were talking about this on a, on a physically distanced walk just earlier. The Bible ends with these amazing verses from Revelation 22. The words of Jesus, these, this is how the Bible ends. Yes, I am coming soon, says Jesus. And then the people in Revelation respond by saying, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Now when Jesus returns, it's all going to be about him. It's all going to be about God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It's all going to be about what Jesus has done for us on the cross and in rising to new life. It's all about him and his amazing grace. So how dare we make everything about us. It is all about him. Jesus is returning. Church, we need to pin our hopes on that. Yes, we can get excited about the end of a lockdown. Some of us might be excited or not excited about recent developments in politics across the pond, but we pin our ultimate hopes not on any of that, but on Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return. Secondly, let's look at the five wise women. So the five wise women in the parable are prepared for the groom's return. In the parable, they play the role of those who are following Jesus and are expectant for his return and live as if he could return at any moment. 
which he could. Jesus could come back in 10 seconds. He could come back in 10 years. He could come back in 10,000 years. We don't know, but we do know, as I've said, he is coming. So how can we be prepared for the coming of Jesus? Well, it's interesting to me that olive oil is used in this story as the thing the women needed to tend to, to pay attention to, the thing they needed to make sure that they were well prepared. Now, we know, don't we, that oil throughout the Bible is used as a visual and symbolic representation of the Holy Spirit. And it is still used in that way by many, many churches all over the world today, partly because the New Testament commands us to use it in such a way. Now, I've read quite a few commentaries on this passage over the past few days. And many, many commentators and and Bible theologians say that what Jesus is saying to us here is this. Church, we must tend to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I must tend to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. You must tend to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Tend to the fruits of the Spirit, to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And as we tend to the things of the Spirit, to God, we put Him first. We don't tend to the things of the world as our number one priority. We tend to the things and to the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, on one level, there is nothing that we can do in our own strength to be, re- to be prepared for the return of Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit ultimately can do that. And so we need to ask the Holy Spirit to prepare us, to sanctify us, to transform us into the people that God is calling us to be. So in answer to Mark's question, what is the modern day equivalent of the oil in the lamps? It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now what's interesting about this, and Mark, this may make some um, sense of the question that you've asked, or at least my answer to it, is that there's several different Greek words for torch or lamp in the New Testament. Now the Greek word here that Jesus is using for torch or lamp is lampas, and it's exactly the same Greek word that is used in Revelation chapter 4 verse 5, in which John sees this amazing prophetic picture of the throne room of heaven and torches all around. And in that vision, we're told that the torches represent the Spirit of God. Now, the thing about these types of lamps, lampas lamps, if you like, is that they're different to other lamps that are described in the New Testament. These lamps, rather than having like a reservoir of olive oil in in order to keep burning, these lamps needed to continually be dipped in olive oil in order to keep burning. Now the inference from Jesus is clear, isn't it? Tend to the work of the Holy Spirit. Keep asking the Holy Spirit to sanctify you. Keep praying every single day. Holy Spirit, apply the truth of the word of God to my life. We need to be continually dipped, if you like, in the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to continually pray, come Holy Spirit, make me into the person that Jesus is transforming me into. Now, as I was preparing this, I was reminded of a song. And uh, Will, I don't know if you know this song, uh, but it's the old song. You may have sung this at um, Sunday school, for those of you that ever went to Sunday school. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Do you know that song, Will? Um, hopefully. <laughs> okay. Will hopefully knows that song. So I'm gonna, Will's just going to sing it. We, we might all join in. Just as a, This is like a sermon illustration, if you like, of what Jesus is asking us to do. Will, over to you. 
Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. So that song comes directly from Matthew chapter 25, and it's a prayer that we'll continually have and pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, we need more than ever at this moment to ask the Holy Spirit to inspire us to pray. We need the Holy Spirit to inspire us to read the scriptures. This is basically what Jesus says to do in verse 13. Keep watch because you do not know the day or hour. How does Jesus tell us to keep watch in the rest of the Gospels? By praying. In the parable of the persistent widow, Jesus ends that parable. This is in Luke's Gospel. By saying, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? And it's all set in the context of prayer. Now, one of the things that God is doing at the moment, I believe, one of the things that God is using this lockdown for, this pandemic for, is that he's asking his church to keep watch, to pray, to trust in him, to trust in his sovereignty, to read his words. So church, let's be prepared. Let us live like Jesus could return at any moment. Martin Luther said this, Christians should live like Christ died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming back again tomorrow. Now, if we lived as if Jesus was coming back tomorrow, our lives would be totally different, wouldn't they? If we knew that Jesus was going to return tomorrow, we'd sort out all of those relational issues. We would sort out our giving. Our prayer lives would look so different if we thought Jesus was going to return tomorrow. Our passion for evangelism and sharing the gospel. We'd forgive those that we needed to forgive if we lived like Jesus was returning tomorrow. Now these women lived like that. And not because of anything they did in their own strength, but because of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, they ended up in the party. They were prepared when they woke up. Now that leads us on to the five foolish women. Now the five foolish women represent those who were not prepared for the second coming of Jesus. Now remember who it is that Jesus is speaking to here. Jesus is speaking to religious leaders And the religious leaders are listening to Jesus tell this parable. One of the things that Jesus is definitely communicating to to the listeners, the first listeners of this parable, is that there's a big difference between looking prepared for the second coming of Jesus and actually being prepared. There's a huge difference. John Piper says this about this passage, about about the five foolish women. They liked their position They could have left if they didn't like it. They liked being lamp carriers. I have a lamp, I have a lamp, I have a lamp, they would have gone around saying, with no attention at all to its emptiness. Their foolishness was to think that mere religious form was sufficient. Now church, religious form is not sufficient. Just carrying around a shiny lamp and looking the part is not sufficient because what's that lamp filled with? Is it filled with pride, anger, jealousy, lust? What's it filled with? Now, of course, the challenge for us who've been saved by Jesus is for us to pray, Holy Spirit, may it be filled with you. 
May I, be, may I be directed by the word of God. Now, in the end, the foolish women in the parable had to rush around and try and prepare themselves. And when they heard that the groom had returned, they rushed back to the groom's house and in doing so, they missed out on the party. They missed out. Now, what is it that Jesus is communicating here? Jesus is saying, look, there's nothing that you can do to prepare yourself. You know, if you try and fill up your, if the lamp with, in your own strength, if you try and fill it up with the things that you think will make you acceptable in order to get into the kingdom, that will not work. Religion will not work. It can only be full by the grace, the death, the resurrection of Jesus and the Holy Spirit applying that truth to our lives. Religion says do, Jesus says done. Now the warning here is clear. Don't tend to the things of self, tend to the things of the Spirit. Now all of the women were asleep in this passage, but some woke up when the midnight cry came and were prepared. Some woke up and weren't. Now, I was reading a commentary by Dr. R.T. Kendall, who's one of my favorite theologians. He's got a fantastic book on the parables, which I recommend really um, to all of you to, to get and to read. And he says that the fact that all of the women are asleep in this passage is a prophetic challenge to the church. So here's the thing um, that R.T. Kendall means by that. Firstly, when you're asleep, you often don't realize that you're asleep, do you? You're dreaming. When you're asleep, you're not constantly thinking in your, in your thoughts all the time. I'm asleep, I'm asleep. Now, Jesus is saying that some of the church are quite possibly asleep and they don't even realize it. And the midnight cry is, wake up, Jesus is returning. Wake up, church, it's time to get ready. Now, the second thing that you don't realize when you're asleep is that when you're asleep, you often think things that you shouldn't be thinking or you think things that you wouldn't think if you were awake. Now, again, how often have we seen this to be true in the church over the past 2,000 years? You know, the church endorses things that the Bible doesn't endorse. We go against the things of the word of God. We make church all about us. And Lord, have mercy on us when we do that because it's all about him. If we were awake, we wouldn't do those things. Now, when you're asleep, I know this to be true every single morning. Every single morning at seven o'clock, our Google smart speaker in our bedroom goes off and it wakes us up. And the first thing I say every morning usually is, okay, Google, snooze for five minutes. And then she'll go off again and I'll say, okay, Google, snooze for five minutes. The last thing that I want in the morning is to be woken up. You, I dislike the sound of the alarm. Now, again, Jesus might be communicating, R.T. Kendall says in his commentary, that this is true of the church. Some parts of the church do not want to be woken up. Now, church, let that not be true for us. In order to be prepared, we need to be awake. Jesus is saying to the church, wake up. Now, we need to wake up because for some, like this foolish women, uh, like the foolish women in the, in the parable, it will be too late. Verses 10 to 12 are quite harrowing, aren't they? You know, they go out, they get their stuff, they come back, the door's shut and they can't get into the wedding banquet. Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Now, just to illustrate this, I'll just end by telling this story. 
I was at a conference one day a few years ago now in Leicester, and it was a leadership conference, and I'd been there all day, and the conference was due to finish at about 3.30, 4 o'clock, and I knew that Hull were playing Leeds that evening in Hull, and I lived in York at the time, and I thought to myself, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a spontaneous trip to Hull. I'm going to get a ticket for the Yorkshire Derby. Hull, Hull against Leeds is like the best match of Hull's calendar. It doesn't happen anymore because obviously we're in League One, League One, Hull are in the Premiership, but that's another story. So I was desperate to get to this game. Now, I knew that it was probably going to be a sellout, but I decided just spontaneously, right, I'm going to go. And so instead of driving back to York, I took an hour-long detour to go to Hull. I got there an hour and a half early. I went to my favourite chippy by the KC Stadium and um, then went to my spot in the stadium car park where I always park, paid my £10 to park in the stadium car park or whatever it was and walked to the ticket office and there was a huge queue. And I thought, oh my gosh, I hope I've made it here in time. And I was in the queue for about 35 minutes. I got to the front and the lady in the, in the um, ticket office said, um, can I have your name, please? I thought, well, this is a bit odd. I just want to buy a ticket. And I gave her my name and she flicked through her database. And she said, I'm sorry, but you don't have a ticket. And I said, I know, I've come to buy one. And she said, well, we sold out three days ago. We put messages on social media. We've, put it, we've emailed all the members of the club, and I was one, hadn't looked at it. I'd totally missed the memo. Now, me being me, I thought, I'll talk my way into this. And so I said to her, look, I know that you've not got a ticket, but if I just hang around and after the queues die down, can you just sneak me in? And she said, um, I'm really sorry, Mr. Doolan, but I, I can't do that. So I walked out the ticket office quite dejected and I went to um, the stewards. And there were some st obviously stewards all around and I said, look, I haven't got a ticket. I've driven all the way from Leicester for this, from this game. Can you just please let me in? And the first steward said no. I went to a second steward. He said no. I went to a third steward and said, look, I'll even wear your tabard. I'll do your job for you. Just let me into the, gap, into the match. And he said no. And I thought, right, I've got one more roll of the dice here. I'm going to try the police. Because obviously there's a lot of police at a football match. So I went up to the police and I tried to sweet talk them into letting me in. Nothing I did was going to get me in. And so I had to drive all the way back to York listening to the game on the radio. I'd missed out. It was too, I was too late. Now, church, let that not be true for us and the second coming of Jesus. It's one thing to have a cavalier attitude like that towards a football match. It's another thing to have an attitude like that towards God, towards Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his return. So, church, Jesus is returning. Let's tend to the work of the Holy Spirit tend to the things of the kingdom and let's learn to be people who pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen.